And now a word from the book we love, Psalm 80. That's page 544 in your shed Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubims, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awake, awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O oh God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Good morning, Mars Hill. If, uh, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kyle Lake, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor who serves our high school ministry anthem and as our family life director, and welcome. Uh, we're so glad you're here this morning, uh, especially if you're one of our college students that has just completed exams and has come back. Congratulations. Uh, we're so glad you are here and, uh, and hope you enjoy a couple of weeks off. Uh, let's begin in prayer. O oh Lord, our God, the grass of the field fades and the flowers wither, but your word endures forever. And so may you give us minds to understand and eyes to see and ears to hear what your word has to offer us this morning. And so we pray these things in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1975, Dr. Edward Tronick presented on his research that was groundbreaking in the area of child development through his still face experiment. In this experiment, a mother and her young infant are placed in a room together. 
And as the experiment goes, they interact and they play with each other, talking, responding, as a mother and a child do. And then about a, a minute or so into this experiment, the mother is instructed to move to... Oh. You can. God, for the uncertainty of the present moment, for the health of our dear brother in Christ, we come to you longing that you would show up in the way of healing and care and concern. That medical personnel would be attentive to every single need. That our bodies, which you have made so complex and unique, would function in wholeness and integrity. And so God, we ask you, we, we beg you to come in this particular moment, in this particular space and in this particular body. Come, Lord Jesus. Come in your power and come in your might. Come in your healing. Shine your light upon this man. Restore his body that he may see the light of your grace and your mercy. that your love would sustain him and care for him and provide for him only as you are able. And so come. Come, Lord Jesus. And amen. And so the, uh, the nurses and the physicians and the people that serve on our medical team, uh, thank you. Let's begin again. So in... In 1975, Dr. Edward Tronick, uh, he published the results, he presented on this study. And uh, a mother and a child are sat in front of each other. 
They're interacting, playing. And then the mother is instructed about a minute in uh, to have an expressionless posture. No smiling. No talking. No responding or looking here or there. And what happens and has uh, been demonstrated through repeated studies of this phenomenon is that the child begins to take notice that their mother is present without presence. They begin to take notice and, and they try to get their mother's attention as quickly as they can through talking and laughing, through moving their body, through pointing here and there, even reaching out to try to grab their mother's face, to say, here I am, be present to me. There's something so powerful about what our faces communicate to one another. So powerful about the presence of someone in a room that is more than just their physical proximity. Present with presence. Here we are in the fourth Sunday of Advent. A Sunday in which we've been waiting and longing with expectation waiting perhaps longer than we have ever waited before, maybe even finding ourselves leaning towards the promise of Christmas, this, this hope and this joy, especially coming out of last week's candle, the candle of joy, longing for something good. And coming crashing into the scene, sort of pushing us back on our heels, is this psalm, Psalm 80, this confrontational lament of a God who is present without presence. Restore us, O God. Make your light, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of your tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Shine your face on us that we may be saved. The confrontational style of this particular lament before and to God may make us feel a bit uncomfortable may make us squirm a little bit in our chairs for, after all, this is the most wonderful time of the year. But this psalmist has no problem voicing their pain before God. God, where is your presence? God, where is the light of your face? God, why are you not paying attention to us? God, can't you see that we are feasting on our tears? 
God, don't you see that we are drinking bowlfuls of our tears rather than join, uh, drawing with joy from the wells of salvation? This prophet, this psalmist speak to, speaks to us with lament. A lament that is both appropriate and necessary for what they are experiencing, this kind of pain and waiting, of God being present without presence. This lament is an act of trust in a minor key. Recall how the psalm begins, hear us, shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awake your might, come and save us. The psalmist pointing to God, this is who you are. God, this is who you have demonstrated to be. You are our shepherd. Come, save us, O God. And just as the psalmist has no trouble, no difficulty voicing their pain before God, they too have no issuing what they would like God to do about it. No issue saying, God, this is what we would like. Restore us, O God. Shine your light upon us that we may be saved. Perhaps in this we hear an echo of that great blessing from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and set upon you peace. This blessing is perhaps one of the promise of God being present with presence. God blessing and God keeping, protecting, guarding, watching over, being attentive to God's people. God shining God's face upon you, upon the people, delighting and smiling and filled with joy to see God's people. God lifting up God's very presence to be drawn near to you. The psalmist is calling on God to remember this promise and this blessing. The psalmist wants God's attention and wants God to do something about their concrete reality. God, here's what I want you to do. Mars Hill, what do we want God to do for us? What do we want God to do for us? As we look around the world, as we examine our collective experience and reality, as we hear the cries and laments of our neighbors, where do we want God to be present with presence? For long lay the world 
and sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Where do we want God to be present with God's presence? There's no shortage of areas in our world and in our lives where we may long for God to come and to draw near once again. And perhaps for a church that waits in Advent, both in this particular season of Advent and in the Advent time in which we live, before Christ comes again and after Christ has come in the flesh, perhaps the lament of the church for the sake of the world is this one that we hear in Psalm 80. Restore us, O God. Shine your light upon us that we may be saved. What do we want God to do for us? This psalm here is challenging to figure out what exactly is the context of it, which in some ways gives a universality to it. That for anyone who is longing for God's presence, anyone who is longing for restoration, anyone who is longing for God's face to shine upon them can speak these words as their own lament. But perhaps this psalm comes out of the place of exile comes out of the place of the people of Israel leaving home, longing for the fruits of their homeland, longing for the breads of their ovens rather than feasting in a foreign land. And near the end of this 8th century BC, these words of promise from the prophet Micah come crashing into the scene. Words of promise spoken as the northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed and the southern cities of Judah are besieged by the Assyrian army. And amidst the rubble, the prophet Micah speaks these words of hope and promise. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and he shall live secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. That here the promise that they shall no longer feast and eat on the bread of their tears, but they will feast on the one who gives them their bread from his hand. One who will prepare a table for them in the presence of their enemy. One who will come and dine with them at his table. Who is this one that is to come? Who is the one that will, that will feed them that will be the majesty of his name, the one that will allow them to live at peace. It's the one that the angel announces to Mary, the one in whom Mary's soul glorifies 
in singing her great song, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, and he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. It's the one who has come to be present with presence in the most unimaginable, incomprehensible, unbelievable way possible, God coming in the flesh. Or in the words of John Doan's great poem, The Annunciation, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. Immensity coming into the world again to be the one who shines the face of God's delight upon the people again. The light of God's face, the image of the invisible God, the light that shines into the darkness. And so in this Advent season, we expect and we anticipate big things, immense things, the biggest thing of all, immensity breaking into our world once again. God doing what God has long promised, to be present to us with God's presence. Mars Hill, what do we want God to do for us? There's a story in Luke's gospel of Jesus coming into a city and the, the crowd is swelling and building. And there's a blind man sitting by the road. And as he hears that Jesus is coming into the town, he calls out to Jesus. And the crowd tries to silence him, but he only gets louder. And Jesus says, bring him to me. And Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want God to do for you? Perhaps this question makes us feel a little bit on edge. Because we don't want to imagine God as some kind of genie or vending machine that just grants us what we want. Or perhaps we grew up in an environment where we were told to suppress any sort of wants that we have because those people's wants or that person's wants are more important than our own. Or perhaps we're unsure of how we could handle and manage the disappointment of what we want not coming to fruition if God does not come and answer our prayer and our lament as we imagine. But I wonder if in this particular Advent season, 
we consider how God was willing to give all of God's self, holding nothing back, to draw near to us, to be immensity among us. And if that is true, then why wouldn't God be willing to receive all of you, holding nothing back? And so as we move towards this table this morning, this table in which we are invited not to feed on the bread of tears, but to feed on the bread of life himself, Jesus Christ, that we could have two postures, two invitations as we come to this table. The first invitation is to pray boldly with a kind of Advent expectation that something will happen. That much like the psalmist here, that we would lament and pray boldly with a kind of Advent voice that names what we want God to do for us, for others, for our world, for our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends and for you. What is it that you want God to do for you? To hold nothing back. To believe that the immensity that broke into our world longs to break into your very life to shine God's face upon you. And so I want to invite you into praying boldly. And so there will be uh, our prayer team present to pray with you uh, at the mural and at the prayer wall or uh, the prayer room. Or if you would like to write a bold prayer and invite our staff to pray with you, uh, we invite you to leave that at one of our prayer walls. And the second invitation is to consider who can you be present to with presence this Advent season? as we begin to draw this particular season to a close and we anticipate and look to the coming of Christ, God's presence in our lives, who might you be present to with your very presence? Who might receive the light of your face shining upon them, of you delighting in them, of you drawing near to them? And so as you consider who you might draw near to, know that God draws near to you, draws near to you at this table and in this feast, for this feast that we have here anticipates the great feast when there will be no more tears when there will be no more longing for the bread of the land, but the bread of the lamb will feast and feed us. And so to this table we now come, Mars Hill. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. 
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so we pray, holy and right it is in our joyful duty, O Lord our God, almighty and everlasting Father, to give you thanks and praise at all times and in all places. And we join our voices with the heavenly hosts who bless and adore your glorious name, praising you, singing holy, 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 Lord of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that the bread that we eat and the cup that we bless would be to us the body and blood of Christ. And that in receiving these gifts that we would be joined to him and that your whole church here on earth would attain the unity of your faith and be gathered into your kingdom. So even so, come, Lord Jesus. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they had feasted, not on their tears, but on the joyous feasts, remembering God's saving liberation of them, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood which is given for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so whenever we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We proclaim our Advent hope and promise that the church all around the world speaks these words, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so we invite you to come. Come to these tables. Come and feast no more on tears, but on the bread of life, the feast of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, and all things are ready. <laughs>